Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of Fluently Forward Finance Edition. We're going to be digging into some financial records, but in a fun, gossipy, scandalous type of way. So I'm looking forward to that. We are having on Money with Katie. Fantastic podcaster, content creator. She helps people with personal finance. And as you know, we'll get to in the interview when she hops on, but my parents were uh, the biggest fans ever of Money with Katie. And she did this fantastic episode about like influencer content creation finances. I know I've talked with a lot of you guys who are starting your own podcasts and it was a great episode. I've binged her content and just fell in love. So I'm really excited to have her on today as a professional lens for the kind of unprofessional stuff we talk about. And before we get into that, I just want to say a big thank you to you guys. Spotify Wrapped came out last week and so many of you tagged Fluently Forward in your stories. I got to see where it was charting with like other podcasts that you listen to. And some of you guys had screenshots like, I've listened to 2,000 minutes of Fluently Forward. I've listened to, one of you had listened to 4,000 minutes of Fluently Forward, which is just bonkers. And um, I went through everyone's stories and tried to respond to as many as I could. I honestly felt like I was on drugs that day. I just felt so happy. I honestly felt like I was being punked. I just think it's incredible that anyone listens to this. So thank you. And thank you for returning the kindness. I hope I return it back to you and we can just ping pong back and forth compliments until we die. That actually doesn't sound that bad to me. So we are going to have money with Katie come on soon. And we're talking about finances. We're talking about celebrities that have gone broke, celebrities that have become billionaires. We're talking about celebrities that have had money stolen from them, uh, celebrities who are getting involved in private equity. Well, right now there's really one that's top of mind. We do talk about the Kardashians a lot in this episode. I kind of broke my rule. And then we just talk a little bit uh, wider, you know, this whole idea of a business octopus that celebrities have with all of their different labels and lines and companies and networks. Is it worth having a business octopus or do you have to be really rich to have one? And we also talk about celebrity makeup and skincare brands. So it's a cool celebrity lens. And in between, we sprinkle in a little bit of uh, personal advice, you know, like celebrities try to keep up with the Joneses. How can we avoid that? And of course, over on Patreon, shout out to the patrons. We dropped an episode on Friday. We covered a bunch of things. We did a 30-minute deep dive on the Balenciaga scandal. And then we just also looked at some other trending topics you guys suggested. The beef between Britney Spears and Selena Gomez. Why everybody is defending Chris Brown right now. A little bit on uh, Julia Fox and the friendship slash relationship between Lapita Nyong'o and Jared Leto. So you can check that out, patreon.com slash fluentlyforward. All right, without further ado, let's get into it, right? So welcome to the episode, Katie from Money with Katie. Welcome to the Fluently Forward podcast. I am joined today by Money with Katie. Katie, welcome to Fluently Forward. How's it going? Thank you. I am excited to talk about celebrities today. Yes, celebrities and all of their finance success and mishaps. And I first have to shout out you and your podcast. Mm -hmm. It was actually recommended to me by my parents. They listen to you constantly. They're like your number one fan. My friend Jess is obsessed with you. I mean, you you have such a great podcast because it's entertaining. It gives really good financial advice. And you also break down a really complicated topic into something that people can manage. And I'm a little bit of a conspiracy theorist, and I feel like 
they make money hard to understand. So then that way you don't take advantage of the system. Yeah. And your podcast is like such a tool for people. So I'm curious how you got the idea to even do this in the first place. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you. I mean, there's no, <laughs> there's no testament quite like my parents told me about yeah. your podcast. I'm like, that's <laughs> when you know it's good when you have, <laughs> yes. when you have fans in, in the everyone's, you know, parental age bracket. Um, yeah, no, I appreciate that. I think, um, I too am a bit of a conspiracy theorist. I think it's funny when we talk about kind of the, the nameless they, like they make it hard to, it, it kind of always references, I would say like institutional knowledge, the powers that be, the patriarchy, whatever you want to call it. And so I, I try to be careful about uh, when I talk about that because I, I'm, I think there's a little bit of that happening, but I also think... My, I've thought about this a lot. I think where a lot of that confusion and complexity comes from is a, to your point, it is very profitable that people don't understand how the system works because there is an entire industry that is built on managing people's money for them. So, well, it's no mm. good if you know, if the regular person knows how to do this because then they're not going to pay into this industry. Kind of similarly to how our tax system in the U.S. is extremely complicated and you have TurboTax and, and the other big players in that space lobbying to keep it complicated because if it were as mm. easy as it is in every other country where the government says, here's your bill, this is what you owe us, or here's your refund because this is what we owe you, they know, right? But if we keep it complicated, well, now we have an industry that is going to employ people and make people a lot of money. So hashtag capitalism. But anyway, how I got into it was really just the recognition when I first started working full time that I didn't really know what the hell I was doing. And it made me very anxious. It was one of those mm. things where like, as I kind of surveyed my life and the people that I spent my time with and how my finances were playing out, given the fact that I had a salary that theoretically was plenty of money to live on, but I never had any money left over at the end of the month. It was this sense of this feels like a really important thing that no one is talking about. Like why have I never been told these things before? Or if I have been told these things, why was it not kind of drilled in as a more important or like a class yeah. in school? Why don't they teach you credit cards 101 yeah. and stuff like that? You yeah. Know? Like I went to a, I have a university education and I'm, I'm sure there was an option to learn about personal finance. There was probably a class that the curriculum offered, but I never knew about it. So I think you kind of just go through life assuming that like all the really important stuff you're just going to learn on your own or that like someone's definitely going to make sure you know it. And money is just one of those weird things where like there's, there's a lot out there that there's a lot of free information out there, but unless you actively seek it out, um, mm -hmm. you're probably not really going to encounter it very often. So I kind of took it upon myself to learn about it. And then once I started learning about it, just for whatever reason, became very obsessive about it and wanted to know more and wanted to go deeper. And I think it kind of comes down to the fact that I recognized that the amount of money you have uh, can really impact the type of life you can live. And that sounds obvious to state explicitly, but it, there are few things in life, I would say, short of maybe your health and the person that you marry that are going to impact mm -hmm. your quality of life more than the number in your bank account. So it just seemed like such a fun and exciting and interesting 
topic. And so Money with Katie as the brand was born in 2020, early 2020. And the Money with Katie show, the podcast was late 2021. So we've been doing that for about a year now. Yeah. But the episodes are, they're insightful. And they're also, I completely agree with you. Like I used to be in this mindset of every time I would check my Chase bank account, which was probably like once a month, I would, I would be so nervous mm-hmm. to check it. And then I would think I shouldn't be this nervous. I should know how much I'm spending. I should know what's going in and what's coming out. And I don't know, there's so many things where um we have so many emotions about stuff in our life. Like I remember I just finally admitted to myself a couple years ago, I have a very emotional relationship with my hair. If it's not done, I don't feel good about myself. Mm. I don't go out as much. Like it really messes with me. And then it's the same with finances, right? Or some people, it could be food. Some people could be having a clean or tidy living mm-hmm. space. And I feel like just recognizing how you feel about dealing with these concepts in your life and then managing them. So then that way you get the best outcome. It's just so true because I think so many people, the concept of budgeting or credit or opening up like a credit card, they're all these monumental mountains because we are in our like 20s or 30s and have never really been formally taught about this. And the episodes are fantastic. You also do cool ones about the history of money Mm. and economics. And I'm like a little bit of a history nerd too. I was listening to your one about Reagan and I was like, okay, this is what trickle down actually means. Fascinating. I never knew. Well, I'm glad that you liked that one because I think that's been something that we've tried to branch. We've tried to branch out of just classic personal finance tips, tricks, and kind of like the the def. I would call it the kind of definition era of like this is what this is. This is how to optimize this because that is necessary information, but it's not as exciting or interesting as like why is the middle class shrinking, right? And I think those economic topics they're they're not as actionable on the individual level you can't listen to an episode about reaganomics and then be like i'm gonna go have a conversation (laughs) with milton friedman and like change that that's not gonna happen but um but i do think it's it's that type of context and background knowledge that can help you make sense of why things are the way that they are and if it's like if personal finance is the canoe the economy is the ocean that you're, that you're paddling Mm. in. So like, yeah, it probably helps to know like why the water is the way it is and like what you're up against, because it can help, I think, release some shame and guilt around like, Oh, I'm so bad at this. Oh, it should be easier. It's like when you hear the historical context of, Oh, actually no, someone that was living in the 1950s actually did have economic tailwinds that you do not now Mm -hmm. as a, you know, 29 year old or 30 year old in the year, 2022, 2023, Um, it can just help make sense of like why this stuff isn't as well known. And to kind of circle back to the conspiracy thing, I do think that part of it is just because the, the amount of information and planning and individual responsibility that is retirement planning, this is a relatively new phenomenon. Like the Roth IRA, I think it was created in like the late 90s, the 401k around the same time frame. Like these are new instruments. These are new tools. This is These things have not been around forever because over time we've seen in the economy that like in the United States, especially with this focus on rugged individualism, we have shifted so much of the burden Uh, from institutions, from the government, from corporations to individual people. So if you were a worker for GM in the 1950s, you made the equivalent of like $50 an hour today. 
which is like a hundred thousand dollars a year and you had a pension. So like you didn't have to really plan for retirement because your company was going to pay for that. So in the 21st century though, there it's pretty much everything falls on you as the individual in the United States. And it's the stakes are just very, very high. And I think that recognition and, and kind of identifying that like it has not always been this way. I think that can also explain some of the lack of embedded knowledge in our school systems or in our just common culture and conversation like how do you often learn about things probably from your parents and the adults in your life but like a lot of this is probably new to them too because it didn't apply to their parents in the same way it applies to them in the same way that it applies to you so yeah I just am so fascinated by the and it happens with like everything from generation to like I my brothers and sisters and I were saying um isn't it crazy that like our grandparents, you know, that generation, it could just be one husband working. The mm-hmm. mom would have four kids. They would have a house. He would have the same job at the same company for 30 years. And on one salary, they were paying for a family of six. Yeah. Like you can't do that now. That's insane. But even generation to generation, everyone jokes about boomers giving the job advice of, well, have you tried printing out your resume and like, handing it to someone? <laughs> yeah. And it's like, no, every like finance changes from generation to generation, jobs do, industries, all of that. So yeah. today we're going to be talking about celebrity finances and kind of the craziest stuff that's happened with celebrities <laughs> and their money. Because I think something that really draws people to celebrities, there's all types of them. You have your singers, you have your actors and actresses, you kind of have like politician celebrities now, athletes. But the one thing that really blends them all together is that these people have money. They are both famous and they're both uh, financially successful. Mm -hmm. And the first thing that I want to talk to you about is that in this category of celebrities, you have some celebrities who end up turning themselves into billionaires. I'm thinking Rihanna, I'm thinking the Kardashians, Mm -hmm. I'm thinking Kanye. And then you have some celebrities that end up going broke. And it's just so rare for people to be on both sides of that spectrum. Mm -hmm. Some numbers that I want to shout out, we have two celebrities here who are famous for spending way too much money, Johnny Depp and Nicolas Cage. Now, starting with Johnny Depp, his monthly spending was insane. There were numbers saying that he spent $30,000 a month on wine, $300,000 a month to maintain a 40-person staff, $150,000 a month for 24-hour security. And then, of course, you have private planes, you have real estate, things like that. And then actor Nicolas Cage, he once spent $150,000 on a pet octopus. And then he also was spending obscene amounts of money on shrunken heads, on dinosaur skulls, on islands. So I have to ask you, when it comes to an insane Sky Mall-like purchase for a celebrity, what huge big ticket item do you think is worth it? Or do you think that if you're Mm. ever spending thousands of dollars on a pet or a piece of artwork, like it's just insane and it's not even a good investment? Okay. This is really funny. So I just, as you were describing Johnny Depp spending, I was kind of punching the numbers into a calculator to see like annually what that adds up to. Again, we are just adding up the things that you mentioned. Like we're not talking about like going out to eat or like buying clothes like we were literally talking staff wine security and travel um Mm -hmm. and that it came in at over eight million a year now I don't know I'm gonna google how much Johnny Depp earns but I think the thing that I would call out here is that 
a lot of the stuff is relative and it's possible that his spending is actually pretty manageable given his income. Okay. I don't know how, mm-hmm. how like reputable these websites are. I'm pretty sure they're not that reputable, but this says he makes between 25 million and a hundred million dollars a year. So to me, where these conversations get crazy is that as normal people, you and I can sit here and be like, holy shit, $300,000 a month just on your staff salaries. That's like mind boggling. But I think a lot of these people make so much money that it's almost hard to comprehend. And so it's like, if you kind of strip out the zeros and break it down, it'd be like saying he makes $25,000 a year and spends 8,000 of it. You'd be like, Oh, that's (laughs) fine. But it, it does kind of, it does kind of go back to this idea of like, we live, we live in a society. No, but we, we do live, we live in an economy and in a tax system where like, if you are an ultra, ultra, ultra high net worth individual, things are really going your way. It is very hard in this country once you become extremely wealthy to blow it, which is why people like Nick Cage are so fascinating. Cause you're like, you had to be working so hard to screw that up because yes. you had all the wind at your back. Right. Um, but anyway, so so to answer your question, though, I think the one that really caught my eye this year was the Kim Kardashian private plane purchase that she bought her own plane because I'm a big into proportions. I like love looking at proportionality of like how people spend money. And one of the big headlines around Kim's jet was that she spent more than Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos did on their planes. And Kim's net worth, I think has been estimated at around a billion dollars, maybe 2 billion. Um, and, and Jeff and Elon are worth hundreds of billions of dollars. Like I think those two combined have more money than the poorest third of Americans combined. Like a hundred million people together have less money than those two do. So just to put it into context. So the fact that she spent more, I was like, damn, $150 million on a plane. That's a lot of money. But in the context of like a celebrity purchase, I actually think it was kind of shrewd and it pains me to say that because I'm like, Jesus Christ, like billionaires, big eye roll. Um, As much as I do keep up with the Kardashians and like I'm kind of an apologist for that family despite them not really deserving it. Um, (laughs) The the fact that she can probably amortize that purchase out over several years and, you know, write it off. So she, because she's using it for business purposes, right. To go to photo photo shoots and to whatever. So it's a, it's a write off of $150 million that she can now, you know, not pay income tax on that amount of money. Um, she's probably letting other people pay to use it. So it's now generating cash flow for her. Um, at the end of the day, it's still a massive expense, but I think it's one of those things that like on its face doesn't seem very prudent. But then when you kind of look at this like 3d chess that billionaires are playing financially, our system is set up to make purchases like that very lucrative for the people that are that are making them so in a way it's kind of like a crazy purchase that's pretty inconceivable to normal people is like not that big of a deal to her i was looking at um again back to the proportionality it's roughly i don't know 10 percent of her net worth that she spent on that plane I mean, most of us, most Americans, if you look at the median cost of a vehicle and like how much the median American is worth, I think $200,000, most people worth $200,000 are driving a car that costs more than 20 grand. So 
in that context, it's kind of like, oh, That's true. it doesn't even look expensive when you put it into um, the framework of what we would consider normal. What's the first thing you do when you wake up? It's probably not checking your credit score, but at Chime, that's exactly what they do. With their secured Chime Credit Builder Visa credit card, you can start to build credit with your own money. Chime reports your payments to credit bureaus to help you build credit over time. Their members see an increase of 30 points on average. All of this with no annual fees, large security deposits, or credit checks to apply. So you can start your credit journey with Chime. Signing up only takes two minutes and it doesn't affect your credit score. Get started at Chime.com slash Fluently. That's Chime.com slash Fluently. The Chime Credit Builder Visa credit card is issued by Stride Bank, not pursuant to a license from Visa USA Chime checking account and $200 qualifying direct deposit required to apply for the secured Chime Credit Builder Visa credit card. Regular on-time payment history can have a positive impact on your credit score. Impact to score may vary and some user scores may not improve. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal fees may apply except at MoneyPass ATMs in a 7-Eleven or any AllPoint or Visa Plus Alliance ATM. Well, speaking of her write-offs, because that's that's a great point, right? You write it off and then you make money on it. And have you heard of Kris Jenner's church that she has I in just California? saw a video about this yesterday. Okay, is this yeah. legit? Like, is this, this is real? Legit. This has been going on for, I think, since, I think it was started in 2009, and it's oh. called the California Community Church, founded by Kris Jenner. And my friend did this great deep dive on it, where basically all of the money that Kardashians have ever donated, like when they sell their clothes on eBay for Kardashian Closet, all the money they donate, they donate to the California Community Church. And that church is owned by Kris Jenner. So they're basically putting it right back into their bank account. And there was this whole thing where Kim Kardashian was saying, I donate 10% of everything I make. Well, yeah, girl, you donate it to the church that your mom owns. Like it stays in the family. Oh my God. (laughs) I'm telling you, next level, 3D chess. Like, which uh, there's so much to say about this. For one thing, I think it's time that we start taxing churches like businesses because the fact that you can use a church as a tax shelter with like really little to no oversight is bananas. Number two, at some point, you have to like, look up from your life and be like, I think I have enough. And it, it, yes. it boggles my mind that like I watch, I still, again, I hate to admit this cause I feel like a walking contradiction. Like I'm such a hypocrite, but I do watch <laughs> their Hulu show every week. And mm-hmm. Kim was talking about, you know, I'm such a workaholic. Oh, I just, you know, I'm always going and, and Chris and MJ or someone, I think cousin Cece, they're like praising how Kim has all this energy and how she just like, we don't know how she does it all, but anytime you think she, she can't go any further, she does. And she's just, it's like, dude, you have 11 figures of in like of money, take a day off. Like what is the point yeah. at this point of continuing to hustle? Like you will never run out. And I'm sure her balance sheet is crazy too. I'm sure she runs an insane like monthly bill, but Um, yeah, I just, I, it just kind of, for me drives home the idea that like a lot of these mega, mega wealthy people kind of lose the plot. Like what is the point of having all that money? Yeah, it must be an addiction. 
I would think of that as a money addiction. You hear people like Demi Lovato having issues with drugs but never leaving Hollywood, you know. Yeah. Are you addicted to substances or are you addicted to fame and celebrity status and yeah. people knowing your name? Tom Brady continuing mm-hmm. to play even though he could have retired as the greatest. Like some of these people I think have this addiction to the status or the reputation and they have to keep it up for mm-hmm. themselves. But another thing that I think is a little bit of an addiction, and we were talking about this earlier, is Sydney Sweeney. I am addicted to Sydney Sweeney. It is true. <laughs> I'm like something about the her unreasonably face and hot Sydney Sweeney. Like everything about her is absolutely gorgeous and Next ethereal. Level. But she's obviously been she's been in a little bit of a PR nightmare lately. Mm-hmm. And one of the recent quotes she gave in the past couple of months was talking about how she has to do all of these um, sponsorships, collaborations, and advertisements because people were saying damn girl, like, why are you in every single commercial I see? Like, didn't you get paid on Euphoria? And I will say, I kind of liked how she spoke out to the magazine because, you know, we're all sitting here curious about it. So she basically said that she has to work nonstop because of all of the places that her money goes after she gets paid. So she Mm -hmm. said, I have to give 5% to my lawyer, 10% to my agents, 3% or something like that to my business manager. I have to pay my publicist every month. And that's more than my mortgage. And you do hear that a lot about people. You know, the money just gets divided the minute you see it. That being said, it was also kind of giving to me a little bit of this notion of keeping up with the Joneses. Mm -hmm. And you hear of that in celebrities. You know, they max out their credit cards so that way they can look good on the red carpet and keep up with everyone. And I'm curious your take on this celebrity status and also just for regular people like even if you're a celebrity in Hollywood or you're some sort of like tennis mom in Connecticut or anywhere, I feel like there's always a keeping up with the Joneses mentality that each community has. How do you break away with that if it's like, you know, impacting you financially and it's detrimental for you to do? Mm -hmm. Do you hear people writing in and being like, oh my God, all my friends are doing X, Y, Z and like, I can't keep up with it. There's so much to say here. I think before we even talk about keeping up with the Joneses, I almost want to take it back to the Sydney Sweeney example specifically because to me it just highlights a very interesting dynamic in Hollywood mm-hmm. right now. There was an amazing piece about this, and I'm kicking myself because now I can't remember where I read it, um, but it was like a response piece that was a bit of a criticism. I want to say the writer's name was Kelsey. Again, I feel terrible that I can't remember her name to shout her out, but she did an amazing job with this article. Um, But anyway, kind of digging into the way dynamics in Hollywood have changed, that someone with Sydney Sweeney's level of fame, where she's on what HBO's second most watched show of all time last I checked I mean maybe second to like Game of Thrones and the Sopranos but like Euphoria is up there it's top three or top five like at the least and she was paid for season two like a little over three hundred thousand dollars now three hundred thousand dollars that's not not a lot of money but there are like mid-level managers at big corporations that make $300,000. It's it's not a lot of money for her level of stardom. And Oh yeah, if everyone in the country has seen my boobs, I'm going to want more than right? $300,000. That's what I'm, if I'm throwing yeah. up topless in a hot tub, like I better be getting <laughs> yeah. paid. And so that kind of blew my mind. Like there are small business owners that make more than that. And so given her level of fame, you'd think and so this the the writer that was critiquing this basically was like Compare a Sydney Sweeney who is arguably at the height of her fame or, you know, she, she's up there with someone like Jennifer Aniston who 
is more famous for sure. But like at that point, maybe a couple seasons into friends or, you know, Jennifer Anderson, she's aging backwards. We all know this, but that woman makes, and I don't want to butcher the numbers. I want to say like $20 million a year from friends reruns, AKA a show that she shot 20 years ago. But like, because of the way the streaming services work now, there's no such thing as like these royalties. Like Sydney Sweeney is not going to get paid 20 years from now when people watch euphoria in the same way that Jennifer Aniston still gets paid for friends. So there has been a real shift now. I think that this this example is so interesting, though, because it does highlight what you're talking about with the keeping up with the Joneses syndrome, where when I look at Sydney Sweeney's income and, OK, you made 300K from Euphoria, give or take, you're probably doing another several hundred thousand from your brand deals. But she bought, what, a three million dollar house in L.A.? Like that was the first red flag yeah, to me stupid. of like. You can't, I don't want to not to pass judgment, but like just from a numbers standpoint, I don't think she could really afford that house. Like not comfortably, at least I don't know her total income, but like after looking at the euphoria, assuming that's the bulk of it and how that gets split up amongst all the people that work for her. I mean, a mortgage on a $3 million house is like 15,000 a month or something. Like it's, it's a lot of money that might even be lowballing it. I haven't actually plugged that in. I'm kind of just guessing, but the point is, I, I think that there's, there's some truth to both her complaint being valid that like, she's actually not being paid very much for the work that she's doing. And it is a reflection of how like, um, capital accrues to the ownership class and if you're just talent like you're not going to get a piece of it we see that with like mm. oprah oprah B harpo network why do you think she owns the network because the capital accrues to the owners not the talent so like that was a very shrewd business decision from oprah and that's why she's a billionaire but also like Zendaya, she is the, what, executive producer of Euphoria. She made millions on season two. Again, that's peanuts compared to what the CEO of HBO makes. But um, it still, still kind of furthers that point. Um, but there is also truth to the fact that like, yeah, you're, you're, you bought a $3 million home. Like I understand that in LA, that's probably like a, you know, a three bedroom house, but yeah. it's still a lot of money to be spending. So you kind of, you, you kind of have to look at both sides of it and, well, I mean, and what you mentioned too with her fame and how everybody you know she's at the Jennifer Aniston the height of her popularity right Jennifer Aniston does have those royalties but then again you could always say back in the day those 90s stars didn't have social media accounts where you could make money off mm. of so maybe that's a little bit extra I'd say it's not the same but $300,000 right let's just say it's that number Sydney Sweeney can't go somewhere without security, like because yeah, of her fame, right. she has to. So right. it's almost this kind of very weird double-edged sword to make someone so famous that they're kind of unsafe mm, on their own, but, but then not, not pay, pay them, them enough yeah. to be able to, you know, yeah. defend themselves or protect themselves yeah. from, especially Sydney Sweeney. Like I once typed her name into Reddit because I wanted oh, to read God. gossip about her. Never type her name into Reddit. I'm sure it was heinous. There were so many gifts of her boobs, like in slow motion up and down. I'm like, okay, so nobody, uh, I'm like here to see who she's dating. I, <laughs> like, I, I hate I'm, the internet. You know? But okay, the thing, the social media point is interesting too, because obviously you can point to certain celebrities like the Kardashians, where social media definitely played an integral role in them becoming as famous as they did. But in some ways, like if I'm looking at someone who's maybe cobbling together income today as a young starlet in Hollywood from being on a hit TV show, doing brand deals with Armani on Instagram, um, you know, doing videos on TikTok for another, like 
they're having to do net more work to make net less money than like a Jennifer mm-hmm. Aniston who, who at the time of friends, I'm not sure how much she made when it was filmed, but like when I think, I think of social media as like a racket, like I am a reluctant participant in it. And again, as I am a walking hypocrite, we've already acknowledged this. Yes. I make <laughs> my living from like distributing my content on social media. So I use it because I have to, but there, there is something kind of atomized about the way that, that entertainers now can make money. And in some ways it's like democratized it. Like you have people like Mr. Beast who blew up on YouTube. You have a ton of, I mean, what's the, the girl who dates Billie Eilish's brother? Uh, oh, Claudia. Claudia. Yes. She yeah. started on YouTube from her living room and is like now flying around the country yeah. in private planes <laughs> with a, uh, what's his name? So it's like, I, I understand Phineas. Phineas. Yes. Phineas. Mm-hmm. I understand how it has been absolutely life changing, but there is also something like vaguely dystopian about it, that it's like, you have to now monetize your personality, uh, it, kind of within an inch of its life to, yeah. Like dance for us monkey while holding this laxative tea. And it's like, bingo. okay, yes, ma'am. Bingo. You know, you better be popping those sugar bear hair gummies. And <laughs> it's like, yeah, I just, I don't know. I think, I just think it's like, in some ways I yearn for the time when there was like, not that there was only one taste maker, but there's something kind of sad to me about the commodification of self which I think is what social media has done. And hello, walking case study, money with Katie, like self commodified for, for a high income. Um, Well, I think that that lends more to when you say how it feels so unbearable. I mean, I've certainly done videos or had to do posts where all of a sudden you're saying, and now if you blah, 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 and then you go, Oh, ew, what kind of voice did I put on? I'm doing my commercial voice, you know? Well, another thing I wanted to ask you, I'm, I'm going to scroll down a little bit here because we're kind of talking a little bit about this idea of a business octopus. And I feel mm. like you see that a lot with content creators online and now also with Sydney Sweeney, other celebrities where they will have their main gig, then they might have merch, then they might do tours, then they might do Amazon affiliate links, then they might have a book coming out and all of these mm-hmm. random things that spin off and yeah. feed into their business octopus where all the tentacles come in and somebody that I want to shout out is Diddy. So he mm. is very, very rich. He's got a $900 million net worth. I did not know he was so rich. He yeah, has crazy either. quotes too about his childhood. Like when he was a boy, he said, what's this quote here? Where he said that he was, my mom had five jobs. I'm from the roots of hustle. I was a paper boy. The first entrepreneurial thing I did, I would reach out to the boys about to go to college, ask if I could do their rounds and send them half of the money. I was making a thousand dollars a week as I kept all of the other rounds on. So that was when he started doing when he was just a kid at age 12. Now he has a record label, a clothing line, a vodka company, a television network. So I'm curious about this. The business octopus do you think that all celebrities have this do you think it's beneficial to have 20 Mm -hmm. tentacles or just two kind of where where do you (laughs) fall on that spectrum of celebrities being a jack of all trades versus a master of none well it's funny because I um I I think I saw an Aziz Ansari stand up about this where he was joking that he's like man I feel like I'm always having to do all this stuff and I'm just so busy and I was asking 
who was he talking to? I was asking Frank Ocean, like, hey man, you only put out an album every couple of years and I never see you in between. Like, what's your secret? And Frank Ocean yeah. was like, I don't know. You just got to be comfortable not making very much or not making as much money as you could. Like just make less money. And yeah, in some ways it does really boil down to that. But I do think that when you look at the celebrities that you had listed off before, the ones who are billionaires, who have like really, who have transcended celebrity status to like, empire status so rihanna um oprah kanye and kim like jay-z all of these people they have uh they have this business octopus that you're describing they have several core businesses under their kind of brand umbrella that they're not directly managing but like they're overseeing and have hired people to manage and i think that to me is like if you're trying to turn celebrity into a nine or 10 figure net worth. Like that's how you do it. You have to have multiple sources of income because ultimately if you're an actress, you can only be in so many shows every year. You well, can especially only a be female in so many movies. Actress, yeah. You have a smaller lifespan than a yeah. male actress too. So once you hit 40, you better have made the majority of your money. We love the patriarchy. Unless you're Jennifer Aniston <laughs> and you don't age. And then that she's the exception to the rule. I have always been a huge advocate of taking vitamins and supplements, probably because about every week my mom texts the family group chat and tells everyone to take a vitamin D because we are all very, very low in it. And what I love about Ritual and I want to tell you about is that they are making multivitamins, supplements, and more that combine all of these great things that we all need. So so many women today, over 97% of them from ages 19 to 50, are not getting enough vitamin D in their diet, and they're also not getting their recommended daily intake of key omega-3s. So Rituals Essentials for Women 18 Plus, they have a multivitamin. It combines everything you need in one. And they also just released Symbiotic Plus. Now this is a gut health supplement, and it's got three great things in it. Prebiotics, probiotics, and postbiotics all in one minty capsule, which is just great. You get everything all in one. So right now, if you want to give them a shot, I take both the multivitamin and Symbiotic Plus. They are going to be offering my listeners 10% off of your first three months. You can visit ritual.com slash fluently and turn healthy habits into a ritual. That's 10% off at ritual.com slash fluently. But I do imagine like kind of what we said about the Kardashians and how I kind of watch that show sometimes. And I'm like, do y'all sleep? Like, oh my God, give it a rest. Like we don't need another skincare line from you people. Um, just make funny television. Like that's, that's what I want to see you for. Like, I don't want to buy skims. I don't want to buy good American jeans. I want to be entertained on my television. So I think there's, there's, there are limits to it. And I think that at some point, you know, your whole life becomes being this brand, but if that's, if that's your aspiration, then, then great. But it is, I mean, it is enterprising. It is very entrepreneurial and impressive. Um, I think that Diddy is an excellent example of that. And I know that we've now canceled yay for good reason, but like that's, that's kind of where a lot of his net worth came from too. It wasn't music. It was the, um, Yeezy like clothing line. That was like what made up a big portion of his net worth. So it's, it's interesting when you see these celebrities kind of pivot their celebrity status into legitimate businesses and it doesn't always work like sometimes it 
flops, but like Fenty with Rihanna, perfect example. She's she has such star power, um, and she made a good product. Like she actually went into a space that there was not very much. I think she, she has what like lingerie and makeup, but she, there wasn't mm. very much. Um, representation across different skin tones and she kind of like in some ways broke the mold because she had such shade variety for foundation um she does lingerie where in her shows there are women that you know look like regular people walking in the shows instead of all these like rail thin models so i think if you if you have that like potent combo of you have massive celebrity and you make a really good product you can pretty much write your own ticket so I it, mm. it, it, I think that's probably pretty common with like all of these mega mega wealthy people. Yeah, I and you're right. There's such a difference between what Rihanna did versus other celebrity makeup lines, which I, I'd love to get your opinion on that. Mm. So, so many skincare makeup lines from celebrities. This is just an example of some of them. So buckle up. We got Kim K, Kylie. Ariana Grande, Rihanna, Selena Gomez, Millie Bobby Brown, Miranda Kerr, Jessica <laughs> Alba, Haley Bieber, Jennifer Lopez, Alicia Keys, Gwen Stefani, Lady Gaga, Gwyneth Paltrow, Gabrielle Union, Halsey, Drew Barrymore, Kesha, and much, much more. And it's become such a trope of, yeah. it's like instead of merch, every female celebrity does a skincare or makeup line. And obviously, you know, follow the money, honey. That's what people are doing. Yeah. I'm just kind of out here amazed because I would think everybody's over these celebrity eyeshadow palettes, but the fact that they keep being made must mean that they're making money. Mm -hmm. Do you believe that this industry is forever booming because makeup costs so little to make Mm. and it can be marked up so much? Or do you think that we've come to the end of the, you know, celebrity eyeshadow palette era? (laughs) It's a good question. And I, I don't know enough about the makeup industry to be able to comment or have an informed opinion about kind of cost of production and markups and things of that nature. And I know that there have been a fair number of scandals around like the makeup YouTubers when they launch things. And then like, if there's an issue with the product, it becomes such a PR nightmare that you're like, Oh my God, it's not even so not pigmented. Yes, exactly. Like that, like the, I feel like Jaclyn Hill comes to mind because she, she has kind of morphed into that, uh, celebrity status on the mic and in the makeup world at least to me it almost speaks to kind of the aspirational quality of these things so I mean with makeup with skincare with shapewear with jeans like these are all things that in my mind are selling you a lifestyle or selling you a specific vision of yourself and so I think Mm. they're all fields or industries that are always going to be rife for celebrity involvement because there is that aspirational connection. Like you're never going to be able to sing like Lady Gaga. You're never going to get to make out with Bradley Cooper for money. But like, if you can wear the same eyeshadow as Gaga, then like there's, there's a subconscious connection that I think is happening there. And I think that's why like the beauty industrial complex is such a uh, right. Well, it's also such a gag. I think like I have one of the Jeffree Star mirrors that's shaped like a star because I would watch his YouTube videos where he would go, 
hi, like welcome yeah. back to my channel. And he would tap the screen with, yes. and you better believe anytime I take out that mirror to look at the back of my head and see if I've straightened everything, I go, hi, how are you? And then oh I look at the mirror. Oh my God. That's and it so is funny. such a gag, you know? It's almost like cameo in physical form for people. Like my friend and I will buy each other Trisha Paytas's, you know, $5 books off of Amazon because we're just like, how funny. It's like Trisha Paytas's book. So oh my God. You're right. Like maybe it is. And I have some stuff from Fenty and every time I use it, I do think of Rihanna. Right? So well, and so yeah, but you're highlighting an interesting piece here where like, and I think Kanye, yay, whatever his name is now, is such a good example of this because that's it's a double-edged sword. If your business and your product is tied to your likability and your celebrity as a person, because as we've already noted, you have a shelf life in Hollywood. You're only going to be relevant for so long. That is in part, I think, why the Kardashians are such a fascinating case study, because their relevance has only seemed to grow as they've gotten older, which typically is not the case with women in yeah. Hollywood, particularly women in Hollywood that are not famous for, for you know, a legitimate skill. Talent. Now, I'm yeah. sure being a reality TV, like I don't, I don't discount that that's challenging and that they've really turned this empire into something. Like I think that Chris Jenner is uh, kind of a genius marketing wise, but um, and a pastor, as we found out, exactly and a pastor. <laughs> Amen. But but if the tide turns on you, everything can evaporate very quickly. Like Yay and Yeezy that that whole deal has kind of erupted because of his anti-Semitism and some of the comments that he's made in the last, you know, he's he so frequently goes off the rails and says offensive, horrific things. And, well, I don't want to wear Yeezys if you're an asshole and my Yeezys represent that I'm associating myself with an asshole. So I do think that while it's a really steep ride up and you can really ride that rocket ship to the top, you have a long way to fall if things go sideways, whereas like a lot of other more conventional brands that may have scandals, it's not like you liking the brand is not all dependent upon you liking one individual. So... I think yeah. there is like a bit of a double-edged sword. And what's funny is we're kind of seeing the reverse of that now because typically, right, it would be, let's say, Jennifer Aniston does something messed up. Smart Water or Aveeno would drop her. Yeah. But now we kind of have the inverse with this Balenciaga scandal. Yeah. And Balenciaga has shit the yes. bed and everyone's going, Kim Kardashian, what are you going to yes. say about it? So now totally. it's this new world of does the celebrity drop the brand, whereas before we've been in brands dropping celebrities. So, I mean, maybe that just means that, that the scales is such an have kind of tipped. Comment. That is such a good observation. I hadn't even thought about that. I mean, we'll see if she does drop them. Her response as, as of November 29th today was a little bit like, oh, like I'm going to see how they react to blah, blah, blah. But, um, but it's interesting. And I agree with you. Like I'm not a fan of the Kardashians, but the fact that they do get bigger and bigger and we all know once they have their little kids, that's the next generation of the TV show. So like it's going to be on forever until they all go celibate. <laughs> so another question I have for you here is, uh, this is something we were talking about before, and this is the idea of financial advisors stealing from their celebrity mm. clients. And I didn't know that this was so profound throughout Hollywood, but it's happened to a bunch of celebrities. So Uma Thurman, she lost a million dollars to her financial planner, Kenneth Starr. It turned out that he was stealing and you know messing things up for a lot of his clients to the amount of $33 million. He ended up being sentenced to 90 months in prison. Sting was also famously swindled by his financial advisor um, for 15 years. He was stealing from him. 
Ben Stiller lost a quarter million to his financial advisor. So I wanted to ask your opinion on A, these different financial advisor scams. Have you heard of this happening to, is this a celebrity thing or just people with money will always be getting scammed by people that they work with? I think it's more the second thing. I think if you have a lot of money, you're a target. And so you're going to mm. attract more bad actors. I I do think that in general too, like the financial services world, there are some very, very smart, very upstanding individuals that work in that world. There's also a lot of back alley shady shit that happens. Um, mm. And I think we you know the meltdown that we're now seeing with FTX in the crypto world is kind of a, a, a good, huge example of this, but it's rife for fraud. And it's funny that you brought up t uh, Tom Brady earlier because my conspiracy theory is that he only went back to work because he had so much money in FTX. And he was basically when the first cease and desist came, I think he was in the Bahamas with SBF, who's the founder of FTX, who's now in all this hot water for, for basically defrauding people out of billions of dollars. Um, but yeah, I, th I think it comes down to like a financial services is an, is an industry in general, whether you're talking about advisory services, whether you're talking about investment management, wealth management, um, I'm sure the majority of them are, are fine and would pass the sniff test, but anytime you've got an opportunity where like the only way that you make money is by managing money for someone else, like that line gets crossed. And I think that with the celebrities, we're basically just seeing, um, kind of on a grander stage would probably plays out at a smaller level all the time with like wealthy unfamous people um where unless you're really watching it like it's probably pretty easy to be taken advantage of i have a feeling though i can't confirm this statistically i have a feeling that this probably happens a lot with pro athletes who come into mm. money really quickly like most celebrities and at a young age very yes, young you know most celebrities i would assume their fame, maybe, maybe not all the time, but like your fame is kind of ascend, like you climb over time. Like you're in one show that does well, and then you're in another show that does well. And like Sydney Sweeney is a perfect example. Like she's not mega, mega wealthy, but she is pretty famous already. But over time, as her celebrity grows, she's going to earn more. But if you're a pro athlete, like you go from being like a college player making maybe nothing or maybe something with the NIL deal to, like a, you know, $10 million a year contract, like basically overnight. So you probably have really no idea what you're doing, how to manage it. And if someone swoops in and promises all these great things about how they can manage it for you and you should trust them and they're going to take care of it. Like I could totally see how you, you would just have to be super, super careful and really, I think cynical in a way of like anyone that's trying to get access to your finances who claims that they want to help you. Oh, totally. And it's gotta be one of those things where like, let's say you want to go to a restaurant, you can read the Yelp reviews. Financial advisors don't have like Yelp reviews right. that you can just like go through and you know, it's right. like all word of mouth and then who do you trust? Yeah. Tis the season. It is the season for sales and it is the season to try new things. I want to talk to you about America's best value meal kit. I am talking about every plate. Every plate is 25% cheaper than grocery shopping. And the reason I love using meal kits, I live alone. And sometimes you want to cook a fun recipe, maybe something you saw online. You don't want to buy an entire bottle of 
mustard just to use a squirt of it in your recipe. And what every plate does is that they will send you meal kits direct to your doorstep. You get to pick what type of recipe you want. They have these um, changing recipes that you can choose 21 different ones every week. And they will send you the right proportions of ingredients, exactly what you need for your recipe. So if you want to try every plate, you can get your first box for just $1.49 per meal, going to everyplate.com and you enter the code fluently149. So once again, you go to everyplate.com and enter code fluently149. So that is a $110 value that you will be getting there. Well, and on that same note, financial advisors stealing from their celebrity clients what would you say, because, you know, we could say that some people are scam artists. We even saw that a little bit with, um, why am I forgetting the name? The Fire Festival, you oh know, God. having those celebrities promote yeah. something that's a total scam. There are everyday scams that, you know, us normies have to look out for. Mm -hmm. My friend was once scammed by that IRS tax scam where they call you on the phone mm. and, like, say that you owe money and you have to use gift cards. What would you say, like, in this year is the most prevalent scam that people have to look out for financial wise is it phishing is it mm. you know weird dms i would say i would think two things come to mind the first is a legitimate scam that i actually was i have had my identity stolen in the past and had this happen to me so i'm going to use that as my my real scam example though the other one mm. that i will talk about is more like a scam that's legal that i think is problematic so anyway essential oils <laughs> Can I interest you in doTERRA? No, um, <laughs> I think, so the scam that I'm thinking of is a middleman scam. So basically what they do is uh, a fraudster will call you and pretend to be your bank or they will text, mm. they will pretend, they will, they will mask the numbers so that the number that is appearing on your caller ID appears to be a bank or a financial institution with which you have money. If they've gotten to this point with you, it's probably because they've ripped your debit card number somewhere. And they have, they know that you have money at this place somehow, probably through a debit card um, that you swiped somewhere and then the number got taken down and whatever, which is also why I say like never use debit cards. Like I would use cash or a credit card because you're way more protected that way. Debit card is like immediate access to your checking account, which is much harder mm -hmm. to undo. But so they'll call you, they'll pretend to be the bank. They'll tell you, oh, are you in Los Angeles traveling? We're seeing these suspicious charges. You want us to put a freeze on the card? Like it'll all seem pretty innocuous. And then they'll say, all right, we're going to send you a text message, like read us the code. It's because they're also on the line with the bank at the same time. And they're pretending oh. to be you to the bank. And then to get through the security step at the bank, the bank, the bank is legitimately sending you the code at their request. And then you're reading it to them and they're telling the bank and then asking for money to be wired somewhere or for an ATM limit to be lifted or to say, hey, I'm about to be withdrawing a lot of cash, just wanted to give you a heads up. So those types of scams are so, like, you have to be so on your A game. But I think the, like, the number one um, thing to know is that your bank 
unless I guess unless you bank with like a super small credit union in like a town with 5,000 people where like you actually know the bank teller your Chase Bank is never gonna call you be like hey just checking in Shannon how you you. doing like the IRS never gonna call you anyone that's calling you and you say okay thanks I'm gonna call you right back hang up call the actual number don't call back like even if you have checked that the number that they called you on is correct, it's very easy to mask that with like certain software that will fake caller ID. Um, call back the actual bank and be like, hey, I just want to ask if someone from your fraud department has tried to contact me or someone here has tried to contact me because um, that's like really the only way that you're able to get in touch with them. But like j- as a general rule, the IRS is not going to call you. The bank is not going to call you. So like antennas should go up um, if that mm-hmm. is happening so have you seen those uh videos by the way of people because the only thing you can do you know obviously hang up um but also the only thing you can do sometimes is waste somebody's time and i've watched these youtube videos where these scam artists will be on the phone and somebody will keep them on the phone for like eight hours and like make the sound effects like they're driving to buy gift cards and here it is and like okay i'm gonna do this and people will be freaking out losing their mind um, because, you know, their scam was just made and they were on the phone for eight hours. And it's kind of half and half. Like, you have to feel bad, people who do that for a living. I don't know. I just always imagine, like, that's not a good life that oh you're living. Oh, my God, you're, but out, also, you're out here with empathy for the fraud, for the fraud. <laughs> trying to, but I also do think, like, that's, like, a miserable, shitty yeah. thing that's, like, so yeah. unfair to do to people. Um, but I will say, if anybody wants, like, a fun YouTube rabbit hole, like, defrauding the IRS scammers on the phone is, like, a very fun video Genius. to watch. Well, no, but you're right. I think in some ways, like, the people that do it, I don't want to say it's a victimless crime because it's very stressful, but, like, when it happened to me and I had $8,000 stolen from my checking account, by the end of the week, Visa had put the money back in. So it's like, they got mm. my $8,000. I still kept my $8,000. Visa is the loser. But in a in a broad scale, like, so I can see what people are like, oh, it, it's not real. Like, I could see how people can justify to themselves that it's not really hurting anybody. But that type oh, of- Oh, no, I still think it's wrong. Yeah, 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 yeah. That type of fraud at scale is like, why- why things cost so much anyway so the second the second um legal scam that i would bring up is and i know that there's probably someone listening to this that's like hey that's what i do for work that's not a like whatever but i'm going to say it anyway because i think it's really important um whole life insurance if you are like a 24 year old and bill blake the guy you went to college with and used to go to frat parties with is calling you up from his, you know, financial services company and he wants to get you on the phone to talk about your financial plan and he's trying to sell you insurance, like, run. Because I think whole life insurance is something that is often positioned as an investment, Um, but nine times out of ten, unless you are already very wealthy and you're trying to, like, diversify into annuities so you have, like, a less unpredictable income stream or something. If you're a 24 year old, you don't need the whole life insurance, like period, end of sentence. Term life Mm. insurance is great. If you have dependents like kids or a spouse and you're like the breadwinner term is good. You're going to pay a low fee every month. That way you can be protected. But like whole life insurance, universal policies, those are often packaged and sold as investments. And they're just not, they're just high Mm. commission investment or uh, high commission insurance products that make a lot of money for the salesperson, um, but are ultimately 
probably not going to be a very good use of your money, but because of the amount of ambiguity in the space and I think just like the general lack of knowledge and awareness, there's a lot of misleading information that comes out of that industry that's perfectly legal. And like, there are plenty of people that have whole life insurance policies, but general rule is like, if someone wants to either manage your money for you for a percentage of your net worth, like a 1% fee, or they're trying to sell you an insurance policy, nine times out of 10, you need to be walking in the other direction and and looking Mm -hmm. at working with financial planners who are hourly, like fee-based, where you're going to pay them up front to make a plan for you. um, And you're not going to be paying them like an ongoing percentage or buying these expensive and like unnecessary uh, complicated financial you know instruments what it's giving to them. me it's giving like a trying to convert to judaism versus jehovah witnesses you know <laughs> like one person's knocking at your door and the other's like slamming it in your face and it's yes. like you want to trust the one that's slamming it in your face because oh like God. you have to work for it <laughs> what an amazing what an amazing analogy that is so funny well before we wrap up here since i know that you're into the kardashians this was you know top of your algorithm when it happened kim kardashian launching her private equity fund mm-hmm. Kim Kardashian is now in the investment world. Look out Wall Street Beds. She's coming for you. Um, Sky Partners, of course, with two Ks in it. KK. <laughs> and she co-founded this, I think it was like a couple of months ago. Her mom, Kris Jenner, is also a partner at the new firm. And I think immediately they got hit with some sort of um, fraud or something sketchy that they were doing. Basically, once again, we've got someone with the business octopus here. And I find it a little bit... Mm, sketchy because you know it seems like it was just a couple years ago she was going to be a lawyer and now she's in private equity like girl you only have one life Mm -hmm. like those are very big things to be doing do you think that more celebrities are going to be starting private equity funds do you think that the celebrity status is going to merge into that world or do you think that this could all come crashing down from a year from now and it'll just be like an era rather than a a new chapter that she's starting oh lord i don't know i think my my feelings about things like PE and um, like venture capital, I think all of these types of businesses, I think they made a lot of sense in an interest rate environment where you had like years of ZERP, zero interest rate policy, where like money was easy to borrow. It was, you know, you could, everyone was optimistic. I think it'll be much harder to make a run at these types of things in the economy that we're going to be entering in 2023 and beyond. I know private equity and venture capital are not the same thing, but I kind of all group them together in my mind with like these celebrity ventures of like, it's almost a little bit of hubris. Like, well, because I have a lot of money, I am qualified to go into these complicated financial fields where I can go make more money. And I'm sure some of them will. I I don't know how the Kardashian uh, one is going to play out, but I have a feeling that like, it's, if, if I had to guess, I think what's going to happen is she's going to realize this is like a far more complicated and time consuming endeavor and that she can make just as much money hawking shapewear on Instagram with a lot less brain power involved. Um, yeah. Or doing like one swipe up story yeah, or maybe 10, you exactly. know, rather I mean, that. give me a break. Yeah. Um, I'm sure she, like if she's just a partner, she's probably just like funding it and someone else is doing the deals. Like I'm sure she's mm-hmm. not the one that's like doing the deals herself. Maybe she is. 
is, but um, that would that's like a full time job. So I kind of doubt that. Um, but yeah, I, I just think that like we're gonna we're entering into a different economic era, and I think that like this these types of ventures are gonna be less readily successful moving forward and so i think we're going to see a lot of a lot of doors shuttering um and I, I would not be surprised if this was one of them and why would you i mean come on like you said like you you're already doing so much kim can't can't you just continue making money the way you have been like i i don't know i don't know how this is going to play out but it is it is interesting to say the least it, yeah it it's just it to me it's just like you said it's a, literally a full-time job it, it's exactly what you said it's hubris to think you can do everything yeah. the only thing i think that would be funny is if she gets like one of the babies to do it and like the baby's on the board and then i'd be like okay well like now it's funny because it's so ridiculous yes. but until then it's like it's just annoying to like us it's just people. annoying it's just annoying it really unless is. it's entertainment you know yeah. it's either entertainment or annoying so it's gonna become you know, a new hulu storyline we're gonna have to go to her pe meetings that was that was my <laughs> biggest beef with that show was that they've literally just turned it into one big commercial for all, all their other brands yeah and i'm like i need like a todd crane storyline like i'm not here yes. i'm not here to go to the skims swim launch i'm here to know like why you, Pete broke up with you? Like I need the real yes. drama. I don't want this. Do you remember the episode um, back in the day where Courtney was uh, pregnant, so she couldn't shave her bush. So Scott in the bathtub shaved her bush for her. There's a huge stomach hair in the way, so like you're asking a lot to shave down there. But I'm down. I just need some assistance. Listen to me. If you would have asked me, you would have known. When I was 11 years old, I worked at a barber shop for three days. I could trim you up real nice. It's going to run you at about $13.50, though. Beautiful. That's beautiful reality Content. TV. Yes. Or when Courtney was, like, trying to take a sexy photo to send to her boyfriend, but she was awkward, so she had to get drunk before she did it. That's what I want to see. I don't want to see skim stuff. I don't want to yeah. see your public beef. I don't want to see you ripping the Maryland dress and stuff like that. <laughs> well, I might uh, want to see the ripping of the oh, Maryland or dress. Th yeah, that pregnant episode was the one where she cried because she was getting a Porsche Cayenne and it was too much of a mom car. I'm like, that moment will live in infamy. Every single time I see a Cayenne, I'm like, R.I.P. <laughs> Sorry, Corey. Little did we know that was like a little brand deal underneath yeah, and portrait on the check or something, you know? Like, it's all working. All right, well, thank you so much for sharing this fantastic knowledge with everyone. Like, it's just very interesting the next time you see a headline about celebrity finances to really think, okay, like, what does that mean in terms of how much they're paying per year mm -hmm. or that amount of money they made on the show? If you take away 70% of it, how yeah. much did they actually walk away yeah. from? And in terms of over on the money with Katie's side, I know, I think you just, didn't you just drop a budget planner? My friend said that she just yes. bought one from you. Yeah, we mm -hmm. just did the 2023 wealth planner. You have a good memory. You're a good podcast host. Um, yes, so we just yeah. dropped well, that you, over you the weekend. Thank you. It's been a big, successful launch so far I'm still kind of working through all like the customer support emails but yeah it went it went really well so if you are in the need for a uh, a sort of budget and investment net worth trackers one-stop shop for you to do all of that debt payoff you name it the 2023 wealth planner is now live I love it. And my friends give great reviews. So you oh, good. take it from me. Everybody loves it. Yeah. Oh, good. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on. And everybody go check out Money with Katie for your personal finance and a little bit of economic history <laughs> and in between lessons. Ta-ta for now. 
All right. Huge thanks to Katie for coming on. And once again, like I mentioned up top, huge thanks to you guys for listening to this and sharing your Spotify raft. It really made my week. Uh, once again, if you are looking for more and you want a double dose of episodes, patreon.com slash fluently forward for five bucks a month, you will get an extra episode every week. And we've started doing little mini episodes throughout the week as well for trending topics as they pop up. So thanks for hanging out with me and I will see you next week for another episode of Fluently Forward. Bye, guys.